Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Lawrence Taylor, and this is Reflection on the Scripture. Today, I want to talk about, I believe, a topic of interest, and that is, how do we know that the religion that we profess is the right one? So how do I know that Christianity is the right one? Was there really a Jesus? Now, uh, I'd like to start off with a passage from the scripture that's, I think, significant here. And that's found in the book of Galatians, chapter 1. In Galatians, chapter 1, we have a sort of biographical sketch of the ministry of an early Christian, that is Paul. Starts off in verse 11 of chapter 1. I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. <clears throat> Three years later, I went to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So here we have a, a biographical historical sketch of the life of this former Pharisee. Now, let's just start off by saying Christians have often been accused of being audacious. Uh, they've been accused of being um, narrow-minded, myopic, um, and prejudiced, especially those who believe that the Bible is the Word of God. The argument is, listen, there are many faiths, many roads to God. Why do you think your claims are more legitimate than all the other claims? And let me just say right uh, off the bat, I want to be sensitive about this issue. I don't want to sound like I'm denigrating anybody's faith. But I believe that there is just something outstanding about Jesus 
and no one, no one else compares to him. You should know that the New Testament is without a doubt the most important literature, uh, I say in the world, but certainly uh, in the Western world. Now, I don't make that claim. Historians make that claim. Any list that you look at in terms of important influencers of history, you will always see Jesus as number one in any list. I, I mean, I challenge you to go online and look for a list. I mean, you may see a variety of people who are, are competing for number two, uh, but you will always, always find Jesus as number one. Why is that? Why is it that all the historians agree that Jesus has had the most influence in history. Well, um, he started off as a uh, Jewish itinerant rabbi, just preaching uh, in Palestine, probably didn't travel a hundred miles from the place where he was born, and yet he has had that much of an impact. Well, one reason why he is considered number one is because there's been more books written about Jesus than anyone. More books have been written about Jesus than just, it's not, uh, no one even comes close to the number of books that have been written about Jesus. More songs, written about Jesus than anyone else. And of course you have 2000 years of the Christian church. Now that none of that really proves whether our faith is based on something that's historical. We have to have more than that and we do. We have the text of scripture. I may have mentioned in an earlier podcast that Jesus is mentioned outside of the New Testament, but those references are sparse. I mean, you have, uh, for instance, uh, Jesus uh, mentioned in the history historians like uh, um, Tacitus in the Annals of Tacitus of Tonius. Uh, you have. Um, and mentioned by Pliny the uh, Younger, uh, the, who was governor of Bithynia. Uh, you have uh, Jesus uh, mentioned by Jewish sources like Josephus uh, in his uh, Jewish antiquity. We have uh, a reference to uh, Jesus' rather scathing remark in the, in the Talmud. Uh, so, so Jesus was mentioned outside of the New Testament, but our primary sources for Jesus come from the New Testament, especially the Gospels. Because the Gospels give us a picture of the ministry, passion, and resurrection of Jesus. But also, in addition to the 
letters, I'm sorry, in addition to the Gospels, we also have the epistles, the letters. And one of the writers of the New Testament wrote more letters than anyone else was Paul. Paul, of course, is his Greek name. Saul was his Hebrew name. He was a former Pharisee who was uh, responsible for persecuting the church. Uh, and there are several sources that tell us that. We have what's known as multiple attestation to that. I mean, we have in the book of Acts written um, not, not by Paul, uh, but by Luke. Uh, there we see that Paul in chapter 9 uh, is a persecutor of the church. We uh, see in, in Galatians chapter 1, he was a persecutor of the church. Um, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he was a persecutor of the church. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he was a persecutor of the church. Um, in fact, um, let's just look at uh, our passage here in Galatians in verse 13. He says, for you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. Now, let's note that his goal was not to throw a few Christians in jail. His goal was to wipe the religion out, to get rid of it. Those are his own words. By the way, there is no doubt, no dispute that Paul wrote this letter. This is what's known as an undisputed letter of Paul. It doesn't matter where you fall at in the theological spectrum, whether you are liberal or whether you are conservative, all agree that Paul wrote Galatians. And here his own words say that his goal was to uh, persecute the church and to destroy. The word destroy means in Greek to uproot it, to wipe it out of existence. So that was his, his actually his pharisaical campaign in Korea to wipe the church out of existence. Uh, furthermore, we're told about uh this uh, Pharisee was a Pharisee when he was doing this, uh, that uh, he was an astute student of the Torah and Jewish tradition. He says that in verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So there he says, look, he, he was the uh, number one student in the class. He was an A student. He excelled over all of his contemporaries. This most likely refers to the fact that he was studying the rabbinic, studying to be a rabbi. But he had an encounter with God. And by the way, let me suggest this. There are two things that skeptics find absolutely challenging. They just don't have an answer for one, the resurrection of Jesus, but they don't have an answer for They come up with theories, but none of those theories suffice. And number two, the conversion of Saul 
the persecutor of the church. They really don't have an answer for neither, neither one of those um, phenomena. So he says that uh, he measured his zeal by the intensity of his persecution. But when he had this encounter, uh, he said in verse, he wrote in verse 16, to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. So what he writes is that, look, I was converted. No doubt he's referring to the Damascus experience that's recorded in Luke chapter 9. I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 9, not Luke, in Acts chapter 9. Uh, I hope I didn't say Luke before. Luke was written by Acts, but it's in Acts chapter 9. Uh, the point is, though, that when he was uh, converted uh, on the Damascus Road, he began to preach and tell others about his experience. But he did not sit under the apostles who walk with Jesus. Paul's campaign was totally independent of theirs, separate from theirs. So he says he did not consult, he consult with them. He, in other words, they did not teach him. He did not learn from Peter. He did not learn from James. He did not learn from John. He did not learn from the other apostles. Uh, he says these things were revealed to him, divinely revealed to him. That's why he says in verse 16, to reveal his son in me. And we have a reference in verse 17 that we just don't have anywhere else. In verse 17, he says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Now, no one knows how long he was in Arabia. Let's, let's be clear about that. You hear these uh um, people who teach the Bible saying he was there for 14 years, he was there for 17. Nobody knows how long he was there. This is the only reference that we have to this Arabian scourge. And he could have been there for two days, he could have been there for a week, he could have been there for two years, no one knows. But the only reference we have to it is right here in this passage. Now, what did he go there for? No doubt to be excluded and to, uh, to most likely receive revelation from Christ. But he's really started his ministry in Damascus, the place where he was planning to arrest Christians. That's where he begins his ministry. Uh, and I want you to note something else he says in verse 18. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. Now look, Peter did not teach him. In fact, he had already been in the ministry for three years before he even met Peter. The, the word Cephas is just the Aramaic name for Peter. Says he hadn't even met him until three years later. And he says, I wasn't with him that long. I was only with him for 15 days. He emphasizes the, the amount of time to show you what a short 
time span, he was there, so he did not learn anything from him. The other thing I want you to notice is um, he uh, went there, no doubt, to uh, get acquainted with him. The word actually means to interview him. Uh, but I did not, in verse 19, see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, that is something that historians say, wow, because he identifies to James that he's talking about here. He says, James, the Lord's brother. So he's not talking about James, the brother of John. He's, he's talking about what we have historically referred to as James the Elder. Well, here we have a reference to Paul actually knowing someone from the family of Jesus. This is an independent witness, because when you look at the Gospels, you see that they mention James also. So let me let me just show you that. In Mark chapter 6, and we say that uh, Mark was uh, one of our oldest Gospels. In Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, it says, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Now look at this. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now, note, here is an independent witness that also identifies James as the brother of Jesus. Now, what that tells us is that um, Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, did not depend upon Paul, and Paul did not depend upon Mark because Galatians was written before the Gospel of Mark. Yet, we have an independent witness here uh, that lets us know that Jesus had a brother named James. And Jesus says, I mean, Paul says that he met James, the brother of the Lord. I think what's also very important here is that there was tension between James and Paul. Because he mentions him again in chapter 2. This is with reference to an encounter that he had at Antioch. And it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, here we go, he used to, that is Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing 
the party of the circumcision. Now, listen, you may not be a biblical exegete and you may have difficulty interpreting some passages there, but you don't have any problem interpreting what he just said. Because what he said is very clear that James' party, whoever this party was, influenced Peter in a negative way. This is a clear indication that there was some tension between Paul and James. That is of utmost historic, uh, historical significance because when people see that there is tension, this gives it much more historical reliability. He could have made something up and said, oh, yeah, we got along, and but there's no indication of that. So what I'm telling you is that the sources that we have in the New Testament, I'm just giving you a small example. The sources that we have in the New Testament for the, and I'm going to use a big word here, for the historicity, okay, of Jesus. That is, historicity means that it is historically accurate. It is authentic. So, so the historical the historicity of Jesus is something that we can depend on based on the sources that we have. This is, I think, without a doubt, without a doubt, um, gives great credibility to our faith and lets us know that one of the earliest witnesses of this, that is Paul, has given us an important historical narrative to the story of Jesus. So I'm going to stop here. Thank you for listening. I hope this was helpful. And Lord willing, I'll see you next week.